Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, The Honeymooners Edition. It is Thursday, September 25th, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm an editorial writer with The Journal, and I've actually been out of the province for most of the week on work-related matters in Mobile, Alabama. So here to catch me up on what has been going on in Alberta politics in my absence are Provincial Affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> you sound so happy to see me back, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Better, thank you. City columnist Paula Simons. Hello, Sarah. I'm so happy that you're back. Thank you. And health writer Keith Gerine. How's it going? Good, thank you. We called this a honeymooner edition because Premier Jim Prentice and his new cabinet are in theory at least, in their honeymoon phase with voters. But as anyone who's ever been on a honeymoon can tell you, they can have their rocky moments. Today, we want to look at some of the issues that Prentice and his cabinet colleagues have tackled this week. So we'll look at Alberta's new health minister, Stephen Mandel, and how he's handled his first few days with this difficult file. And we'll talk about the government's latest dust-up with Privacy Commissioner Jill Clayton. Oh, I can't wait to hear about this. And we'll discuss Prentice's new accountability policy, which he unveiled this Wednesday. And then perhaps we'll place our bets exactly when and where the Premier is going to call those by-elections. I think we have a bit more information on that now. Let's start with Prentice's new accountability pledge. What exactly did he promise when he announced his policy about integrity and patronage this Yeah, week? this is his uh, latest announcement. It's been one a day for the last uh, week and a half now. He's doing one a day for we don't know how long. He's it's promising. Just, it's just like the vitamins. Something yeah, one a wholesome day. and nutritious every day. <laughs> one a day keeps the opposition away. Um at the accountability, he's talking about, um, for example, extending the cooling off period for um, retiring senior uh, minister, uh, ministers and uh, senior civil servants, uh, political staff, to one year from six months. Um, there'll be no government work for lobbyists. Uh, there'll be no sweetheart deals and no sweetheart um, severance packages that we saw under Redford. He's saying basically, look, look, if you're a friend of the government, don't count on getting a job. So he's trying to say things are different now, even though we've heard very similar uh, pronouncements, um, accountability promises, openness, transparency from every premier in the last 20 years, and they've all managed to fail us in one way or another. He is saying, don't worry, things are different now. It's a new government. He keeps saying it's a brand new government. It's not a new government. (laughs) It's a new premier. Uh, Anyway, but he is saying things are, are changed. Don't worry. The end to patronage, an end to sweetheart deals, and things will be more uh, have more integrity moving forward. Now, of course, Paul is itching to talk about how this is that he's actually undermined his own promise within within days of of making this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, because because just last week we talked about how he was under fire for appointing one of his friends or a couple of his friends to a pretty high profile job. So, Paula, how does what he's just announced Wednesday mesh with what's already happened? Well, I guess the time to get a patronage appointment was last week. (laughs) Uh, Because if you were Jay Hill, his co-campaign chair, you got to the made up position of being our special envoy to British Columbia, Saskatchewan and the Northwest Territories, those strange foreign principalities, which apparently need their own ambassador now. Um, And if you were Rob Merrifield, his former uh, caucus mate in the Harper uh, government, then you got the very plum job of being Alberta's special envoy to Washington, D.C. Mm. So, you know, certainly the, you know, Brian Mason and, and the uh, Wildrose had a field day pointing out the apparent hypocrisy of this. I mean, to me, what's really stunning is when you say, you know, the new rules are going to say that registered lobbyists can't have government contracts. And you think, wait a minute, you mean the rules didn't say that before? On what planet is a lobbyist also somebody who does consulting work for the government? It just, you know, Graham has a, Graham Thompson 
this guy Graham Thompson has a great column in our paper today in which he takes quotes from very is given by Alison Redford, Ed Stelmack, and even Ralph Klein making all these same kind of promises. But, you know, it's really easy to promise. I guess once we see the legislation when uh, the House resumes sitting in November, we'll be able to see uh, the devilish details. Do you think it's actually going to be easy for him to convince Albertans that he's different from his predecessors? It's going to be very hard, um, and it's going to take a long time, maybe until the next election, to see, um, as Paula says, what the what the act actually says, the, the details of it, and whether they can actually live up to it for a, for a full year before the election. Um, <laughs> someone so is difficult. Uh, so difficult. And then someone has made the joke to me all, all the time, you know, all this talk about patronage that, um, you know, with the Tories being in power now 43 years, it might actually be easier to make a list of people who are not Tory insiders <laughs> than those who are. Every, everyone's already got a patronage appointment. Is that, is that the model? Oh, so yeah. Darn it, I missed my chance. All right. Keith um, Stephen Mandel, Edmonton's mayor, has had what sounds like, from just the quick looks I've had on my cell phone, trying not to rack up data charges, um, but it looks like he's had a busy first week as health minister. Can you tell us what he's had put on his to-do list? Well, there's a there's a lot on his to-do list. Um, his first week, I think, was a very typical Mandelian first week. Uh, <laughs> he, he, it's a big file he's inherited, but he seems pretty confident, not overwhelmed at this point, seems his jovial self. That may change in the, uh, in the weeks ahead. Um, I, I think the first week it could probably be characterized as uh, him sort of going after the low-hanging fruit, if you will, some of the uh, some of the issues that are a political problem for the Tories. Mm. Uh, one, of course, was the um, the Michener Center. The uh, he and uh, the premier have now decided to keep it open or at least give families the choice. So was he he was at that Michener Center announcement? Because from what I just saw yes. on Twitter and the, the quick stories, it looked like Jim Prentice <laughs> announced that one himself. But. Well, that it was, Jim Prentice was the star of the show there, okay. but, but Mandel was right there, believe me. Um, okay. And the other major uh, initiative is this uh, review that they're going to do of rural health care. And of course, the rural areas are a big problem for the Tories right now. They, large, largely, they've gone over to the Wild Rose camp. Um, and Prentice, if we take him at his word when he was traveling the province during the leadership campaign, uh, he uh, heard a lot from rural Albertans that health care is a big, big uh, issue for them right now. So they're, they're at least giving the appearance that they're doing something. Uh, what that review will say, uh, we'll have to see. You know, for Mandela, it was a lot of housekeeping. I mean, everything from uh, dealing with bed blockers. And it was really funny. The Wild Rose jumped on him. For, oh, he's using the, you know, not the Wild Rose. Wild Rose supporters say, how can he use the word bed blocker? It's so insensitive. I've, you know, no, no, sweeties, they've been using this word for a long time. You just haven't been paying attention. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing he had to deal with was some disgusting fly infestation at the Misericordia Hospital. Ooh, so really? It's, yeah, it's housekeeping in the most literal of senses. It was actually in one of the sort of the medical clinics attached to the hospital. But oh. of course, that's not how the story gets <laughs> sold in many people's no. minds. It's, what kind uh, of fly? I, I, it's a good question. I think just the regular variety, but uh, yeah, not not the most pleasant thing. Um, the other thing, of course, is that he was asked about uh, family care clinics, which mm. was one of Redford's big initiatives. His response to that was that they do not have a strong future. Mm. <laughs> so that initiative is probably on its way out as well. Graham, health is this huge, heavy, difficult file, mm -hmm. and he's also going to be fighting for a seat in the by-election very soon. Now, I guess mm -hmm. we can talk about that. But how hard is it going to be to do both? I was actually wondering that on my way in this morning. Like, how on earth is he going to do all of this? Well, you know, he is a, he's a skilled politician. People know him in Edmonton. It's not as if he's 
introducing himself for the first time. And also he's a huge staff running healthcare. So I don't think we'll be seeing major changes in healthcare in the next 28 days or okay. next month. This 28-day campaign hasn't actually been announced yet. Mm. Um, so Mandel's running in uh, Edmonton White Mud, the riding that um, Dave Hancock just vacated. So it's a relatively safe seat, I think, for Mandel. He's well-known. I think he's well-liked, generally speaking, in, in Edmonton. So it won't be that difficult a fight for him. Uh, I was surprised, speaking of by-elections, that um, Dirks, Gordon Dirks, is running in uh, Calgary Elbow, even though that's an open seat. That's the one that um, Redford has, uh, has given up by retiring. Um, that's not a safe seat at all, I don't think. That's a very toxic seat, both from the point of view of Redford being so unpopular, plus that riding went liberal. That was Ralph Klein's riding. He retired in 2006, uh, 2007, the by-election. The liberals won that. So this is a, a riding that has a history of posing, uh, posting a, a um, protest vote against the government. So this mm. could be really interesting to see what actually happens. And we can talk about this more later on, but Prentice has not said where he will run in Calgary. Right. Let, let's go to those by-elections because that seems like the logical place to go now. So I was expecting to come back and to know I was gone for five days, but I thought by then we would have had dates for these by-elections. Do we have that yet? Like, what do we know now about the by-elections that we didn't know on Friday when I got on a plane? We don't know much more. I asked Prentice yesterday, when will you finally announce where you're running? I think they have until October the 2nd to actually get the whole process done and be elected in the House by November 17th, declare the official candidate. They must call the election by October the 2nd, the by-election of October the 2nd, which is next week. So the two ridings, we've got uh, Mandel running in uh, Edmonton White Mud, Dirks running in Calgary Elbow. And and the nominations, can other people still say, no, I'd like to run for the they're Conservative done. Party? They're both done in those two ridings. Uh, okay. So no one else was allowed to run in those ridings. And, mm. and it, what's interesting is that there had been a, a Tory candidate uh, you know, already campaigning for the nomination in Elbow. And the Calgary Herald is reporting now that, uh, that Pat Walsh, that's his name, is now gone over to the Wild Rose because he was sufficiently disgruntled at being pushed out to make room mm. for Gordon Dirks. Uh, is it not risky to run somebody in, like, uh, in Calgary Elbow? D- does that mean that nobody else wanted to give up their seat for the you know education minister is that well that would be one interpretation i mean certainly both the liberals and the wildrose have strong candidates mm-hmm. in elbow i suppose they could split the disgruntlement vote and dirks could come up the middle what's what's more interesting to me is that mr prentice has still not said where he's going to run i mean is it going to be uh neil brown's seat which is uh Mackino's hill that's that right it's called yeah but you know they need to i mean Wherever Prentice runs, somebody has to step aside. Prentice has to win the nomination, which is a, a pro forma thing, of course. But you know, th- there are rules in the, in the Tory handbook about about uh, nominations too. Mm. So you know, the, the the clock is really ticking. Plus, we don't know um, if behind the scenes, Mr. Prentice is trying to convince some other um, people who've been put out to pasture that it's time for them to step aside so that he can get a few other new faces in caucus. I do wonder if that's part of the reason for the delay mm. right now is that there is some arm twisting going on behind the scenes or some negotiations for, feel, for more than three by-elections. I feel like right now is that moment in the podcast where I will have to put an insert in <laughs> <laughs> because something will happen today. The but thing is, <laughs> interesting, this, this is going to be a mini referendum on, on Prentice's changes as well. Mm. Um, I think they're pretty safe in white mud, but Calgary could go sideways on mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Do you think the by-election for in, in Edmonton white mud will be about what Mandel has done so far as health minister, 
Or will it be about a referendum on him as mayor? I think it's more likely to be about his reputation as mayor, because I don't know that he will have done that much in health. Um, uh, well, I mean, a lot of flies. He'll be swatting a lot of flies, you know. I mean, yeah. I, and I think that although I was surprised that Prentice gave him health initially, I think probably politically that was quite astute because I think Edmonton White Mud is a very, I mean, it's also a riding that's gone liberal in the past. And so, um, you know, Michael Percy was the representative for White Mud. Um, uh, Percy Wickman was the representative for White Mud. So I think Mandel as a, you know, as a social progressive who talks a lot about public health care should be fine in White Mud. For Dirks, I think it's going to be much more interesting because his appointment was considerably more controversial. That's a good point you raised, though, uh, Paul, about splitting the vote, the disgruntled vote. It's not only the Liberals and Wild Rose got good people, the Alberta Party. Yes, they're, yes. they're yeah. making a very hard fight in uh, in Elbow. Elbow. Yeah, and they've got Stephen uh, Carter, who... Um, is helped, running the campaign. Helping run the campaign. For their leader, Greg Clark. Right. Clark, mm. who, uh, who got 2% of the vote last time. He likely isn't a threat, but he could bleed some of the um, the progressive vote away from um, the liberals. And don't forget about the NDP. They're going to have a new leader by the time these by-elections happen. And uh, Rachel Notley, if it's her, is uh, certainly going to want to make a splash uh, as well. Ooh, so exciting. There, there also was news on the privacy front, because I guess par- Parliament, the legislature was officially prorogued. Is that that occurred? So last November 15th, the Supreme Court of Canada struck down PIPA, which is Alberta's Personal Information Protection Act, and they said it was unconstitutional. But it did give the province a year's grace period to rewrite a bill that conformed to the charter. Jill Clayton, Alberta's privacy commissioner, is now raising concerns that the province won't meet its deadline. Paula, can you tell us more about this uh, confrontation between the privacy commissioner and the new government? Well, this is a really interesting case that I've watched for a long time. The Supreme Court struck down PIPA because they said it violated uh, charter rights about freedom of expression. It was a case where a union was uh, videotaping you know, people who were crossing a picket line, and uh, the provincial legislation said that was a, you know, that was a violation of their privacy. And the Supreme Court said, no, that's ridiculous. You can't, you can't have a law like that. They struck down the whole thing, um, and they gave the province a year. Well, a year has gone by. We've had three premiers. Goodness knows how many service Alberta ministers, three or four, and you know, the the legislature isn't going to go back into session until after the deadline. So, you know, Jill Clayton wrote a very stiff letter saying not only are they not going to make the deadline, but nobody in the last year has talked to her or sought her input into rewriting the legislation, which is in some ways even more alarming. So the province says, don't worry, we're going to ask for an extension, which sort of reminds me of my own university days. You know, (laughs) can you just ask the Supreme Court for an extension? I don't actually know how that works. I mean, presumably the Supreme Court isn't going to allow Alberta to have no privacy law, but I don't think they're going to be very happy. Yeah, you would think that um, there'd be that gap between the law expiring the 15th of November and the session starting the 17th. There's a few days there Mm -hmm. where, in theory, there could be no law in Alberta. So I I, I get the impression... Anarchy. I get the impression (laughs) that the Supreme Court might say, okay, fine, you get get like five days, whatever, extra, or a week extra to do it. Uh Because they'll know, practically speaking, Alberta's in a bit of a bind right now. But yeah, you got to think, didn't they think about this? 
You know, I mean, this and this is what sh- shows what happens when your ruling party is so convulsed with its own internal mm-hmm. rivalries and its own internal politics, it forgets that it actually was hired to run the government. I mean, this is not rocket science. Jill Clayton has been saying that her legislation has been outdated on a bunch of files, including, as, as Keith well knows, on the health file. And, you know, the government has been at loggerheads with her for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. Today, our colleague Karen Cleese has a, a different story in the paper about Jill Clayton, um, where uh, the government was refusing to release information about staff salaries and severance to the Wild Rose. And the government said that the Wild Rose's requests were frivolous and vexatious. Mm-hmm. And Jill Clayton said, just because you find the opposition vexing does not mean that you can withhold public information from them. Right. So that that is not what frivolous and vexatious means. Right. Did. Did she ever come to terms, Keith, with health, former health minister Fred Horn on some of the things they were fighting over? Not really. Horn just put in new legislation or, or changed change the rules uh, without her input. Um, and uh, that's kind of where it stands right now. She, I think she had some serious concerns with what was put in place, but it's still in place. So I guess we'll see if uh, the new government, the, the new premier changes that. I guess what does all this mean for everyday Albertans? Like I'm, try- I'm interested in the political infighting, of course. But what I wonder is, how does that affect everybody else? Like how does that affect my sister or my mom and dad or you know people? If all these laws are, you know, what, what's going on with people's personal privacy? Well, you know, I guess that's the fundamental joke in the end. I mean, in theory, if there's no law, people could violate the law and violate people's privacy. But given that the penalties within the law are very minimal anyway, and that the privacy commissioner has very little power to actually punish people, as, as, as in the case of the uh, medical records that went missing from MediCenter. Um, you know, so yes, in theory, it's a terrible thing that there would be no law and that people could release private information. On the other hand, the penalties involved in releasing private information are pretty de minimis at the best of times. I feel like that's going to be the worst job ever to have to be the lawyer who goes to the Supreme Court head hanging. <laughs> like the dog saying, ate my I'm homework. I'm so sorry. Can we please have an extension? I bet they're totally drawing straws for that or something. Yeah, that would be terrible. Oh, the shame. And on that note, let's turn to something far less shameful. Good stuff from the gallery. This is uh, where our panelists give their recommendations for something that is good political reading or listening or viewing, perhaps. What is everyone recommending for our listeners this week? It doesn't, and it also doesn't always have to be political. We can <laughs> we can divert, we can branch out. Well, can I can I bring a suggestion? You go, you go sure. first because you've been reading on the plane. Yeah, well, <laughs> what I was reading on the plane was not really political. I I will admit that. I was reading the Rosie Project, which is a very fun book. But I am going to recommend. I'm going to put up a few links about stories about this uh, guy profiles, basically about this gentleman from Alabama whose name is David Bronner. And he is the CEO of Alabama's retirement system. And they, the reason I found him and that whole system so fascinating is because everywhere you go in downtown Mobile, if you see a crane or a construction project, there's a big sign on it that says this project is being funded by the Alabama retirement system. So the pensions of government staff, uh, government staff are... 325,000 of them are basically rebuilding this place's downtown. And I guess it's like that all over the state. He has made a conscious decision, uh, mostly successfully, I'm told, to invest in Alabama. 
and I, I, other things as well. But I just I just thought that was really fascinating, and I was really struck by how you know the public sector's pension money was. Uh, had, had renovated this historic hotel that I was in, built a convention center, uh, was renovating a mass, another old, beautiful, historic structure that kind of looked like our federal building, but a little bit smaller version and is turning it into offices and condos. So yeah, I'm going to recommend some profiles on that gentleman. And uh, I'll put up those links. Um, I've got... I bet yours isn't from Alabama. Yeah, no, my, mine is nowhere near as exciting as that. Um, <laughs> it's the latest annual report from the Alberta Rural Physician Action Plan. As why exciting you, as why, that sounds. Why would you care about You stole rural. my idea. Yeah, yeah. Why would you care about rural medicine? <laughs> well, it... Normally, I, I this wouldn't be something that uh, I, I would recommend to people as a, as a fun read, but uh, I think it's relevant, obviously, because there is a review going on of rural health care right now. And one of the main, I think, thrusts of that is going to be recruitment of doctors and, and nurses to rural communities, which is an ongoing problem. Uh, and so it'd be interesting to see this plan that we've already got, um, how closely it's going to match to the new plan that we're going to get in uh, 90 days. That reminds me of something that I actually should have asked you during our normal Q&A session. But one thing I, as I'm totally not clear on is wh- how is this rural health care review supposed to be different than all the other previous <laughs> rural health care reviews? And I didn't get a great sense of that. Um, did you? Can you tell me a little bit more about how that is? And I'm sorry to backtrack and, and make everyone wait for Paul and Graham's good stuff. <laughs> That's but. okay. Um, you know, I actually haven't been able to track down a definitively rural health care review in recent years. I, oh. don't, I think this is actually the first one specifically targeted to rural health care that we've had in quite some time. Oh, because I thought I was hearing everyone say, we've mm-hmm. had all these reviews of rural health care. We've, we've had reviews of health care, just not rural health care. Oh, uh, okay. So it's it's supposed to be very quick. It's supposed to be uh, a 90 days reporting back to the minister. Um, they're going to look at, at uh, a very select uh, few important issues. Recruitment is one of them. The the use of the, the aging facilities that they have in in rural health care, uh, rural areas um, are, are two of the main things uh, and how to improve services. But uh, I do notice that the four people assigned to be on this panel uh, are all from rural areas. So that does make me wonder what kind of report we're going to get back. I don't suspect we're going to see any recommendations in there that they should start closing rural hospitals. For example, I think there's going to be a, a very strong demand to improve service and improve infrastructure. And while we wait for that new report, we can read the one you just recommended. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Keith. You're I appreciate welcome. that. Graham and Paula, well, who's next? I'll go quickly because Paul's a tough act to follow. Um, <laughs> I was going to recommend some readings on the Scottish referendum and what it all meant and what it might mean to Quebec. But I spent my last few nights, I downloaded an app. This is not political. It's called Sky um, Guide. Oh, Sky, yeah, Sky Guide. It's, a da- it's an app that shows you what's above your head in the sky, all the constellations. Well, it's actually below your feet as well in the southern hemisphere. And if you guys could see Graham right now, he is holding up his cell phone. And where are you going He's going off mic as he gazes up it's, into the stars. It's like a sort of magic, uh, I don't know, window on the sky. You can see the, what's above you. It can show you satellites, but they are above you. And you can squ- scan it around, and it's like a, a magic window. And I find the thing fascinating. I spent the last few nights out in the backyard looking at the star- stars. And it's called Sky Guide. I'm not saying you get, it's a dollar nine to, um, to, to download <laughs> an app. I'm not saying spend the money. I'm just saying it's really, really neat. And I love 
love that. If, if you do like stargazing, and I, I do it as an uh, amateur sky, I have a telescope that doesn't really work very well, and binoculars, and this thing is amazing. Anyway, <laughs> so that's my um, my good sky guide for Graham today. Thompson, more uh, than politics. I like it. All right, so my good stuff will combine stargazing and politics, and I have two videos I want to recommend that, that I think are really interesting watching. The first is uh, Emma Watson's speech to the United Nations on the He for She initiative. Uh, Emma Watson is, of course, Hermione Granger in the uh, Harry Potter movies and the star of uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. And it's a lovely speech. It's very thoughtful. And it should be watched in part because of the ugly troll, yucky reaction by a few, you know, Troll-like people. Troll-like people. Yes. A few, a few cave trolls. Um, so I would recommend watching her speech, which is really um, lovely and a message I think that everybody should hear. And the other thing I'm going to recommend, because it's it's Rosh Hashanah, Shana Tova, everyone, uh, is a really delightful video that I got via the Jerusalem Post, but it's produced by the Perez Center for Peace, and it's uh, it's about Shimon Perez, who's the uh, you know, retiring president of Israel, longtime prime minister of Israel, leader in the peace process. He's 90 years old. And it's an extremely funny video in which he attempts to go out and find a job. And it's a very sly poke at, um, you know, making fun of, of the parties in the peace initiative in the Middle East. But it's also a much more subversive look at you know, how do we treat our elders? What do we do with our eminent politicians when they retire? And so there's poor Shimon Perez trying to get a job pumping gas, oh. trying, to get, trying to get a job as a goat herder. Um, and it's, he's so deadpan and so funny. The Jerusalem Post says, you know, maybe he's, you know, he's the next George, uh, George Burns, but it's <laughs> absolutely delightful in Hebrew with English subtitles. And uh, uh, I, I found the link through the Washington Post and we'll put it up. It's, it's, it's absolutely great. Happy New Year. Thanks, everyone. Well, that's it for this week. I appreciate Graham, Paula, and Keith for coming in and catching me up on the week I missed and also basically preparing this whole episode. And thanks to journal videographer Ed Kaiser for this week's video production. You'll find a video excerpt on our discussion at edmontonjournal.com. Previous episodes of the Press Gallery are archived on our website at edmontonjournal.com opinion. Or if you prefer, you can download the podcast for free. Ooh, good addition to the script, Paula. From iTunes, or you can listen via our Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed, also free. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepressgallery. And uh, join us to discuss this week's podcast, the breaking political news, and to recommend some good stuff of your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week in the Press Gallery.